Anyway, well, hey, tonight, guys, we're going to um, have a discussion uh, about the Holy Spirit. And I've asked Mel to come up. If you guys don't know Mel, Mel's an elder here at Door of Hope. Uh, he's uh, been in ministry for a very long time. Uh, came from Church of God to uh, Vineyard. Uh, so and comes out of um, more of a Pentecostal um, background. And I just feel like has a, and I should say, you didn't, you actually did not come from a Pentecostal background, but went to a Pentecostal uh, church when? Uh, yes and no. I mean, essentially, Vineyard is considered third wave, which is a division of the charismatic. And so there are some significant praxis issues between how Pentecostals view the work of the Holy Spirit and how charismatics do. I was using Pentecostal very, very uh, broadly, just more charismatic is what I meant. And Vineyard actually was birthed out of the movement that I got saved into, which is Calvary Chapel, uh, which was there was a parting of ways in the early Jesus movement between John Wimber and Chuck Smith, where Chuck came from Assemblies of God and kind of moved away from sort of emphasis on uh, the charismatic gifts and more emphasis on Bible and teaching. And Wimber left Calvary Chapel because he wanted to see more of an emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we want to talk about tonight, and you keep in mind that the purpose of this series of Life Together is that we want to talk about the things that really matter to us as a church um, and, and talk about the context of these things, prayer, the Word of God, the role of the Holy Spirit in, in the context of community. And I think that there's been a lot of div division. It's not just Calvary Chapel and Vineyard, uh, but there is a lot of, of division and misunderstanding around the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. Um, and there's a lot of renewed interest in the Holy Spirit currently um, in a lot of my friends' churches and a lot of discussion around the Holy Spirit um, and even the, the belief that the Holy Spirit has somehow been kind of the neglected one of the, the Trinity. And I just want to say out of the gate, I actually don't, subscribe to that. I think that the Holy Spirit is clearly is the shy one in the Trinity because the Holy Spirit is never interested in our focus being upon him. He is always redirecting our attention to Jesus. Um, and his work is in, internal, inward, working through us uh, to present to the world the living Christ. And so um, what Mel and I want to talk about tonight is kind of practically, what does that look like for us as a community? Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion around. I think a lot of people treat the Holy Spirit as a force to be wielded rather than someone to be known. And even though we're talking about the Holy Spirit, so we should just know what your questions are. Nevertheless, would you help us by giving, texting whatever questions you have to that particular address, right? I feel like the Spirit's going to tell me what to, I don't feel like I need I your questions. You, I, no, I agree I, with I, you. I, I think I, you. I, that, that's actually something that you never trust. If someone says they don't need your input because the Holy Spirit told them, that's when you bring up testing the Holy Spirit, <laughs> testing the Spirit. Well, um, Mel, I think it'd be cool if we began by um, just hearing a little bit about your journey um, and just kind of your openness to the work of the Holy Spirit and what kind of led you from Church of God, which is actually not, is, is, is it cessationist? It's, is, it's not cessationist, but it's non-Pentecostal. Right, it's out of the holiness movement. You have basically four different, at least that I can identify, four different divisions of uh, generally theologically. You have hardline Pentecostals where in some cases they don't accept that you're saved if you don't speak in tongues. 
And they definitely don't accept that you're filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. Then you have, if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the secessionists, which believe that all of the power and revelatory gifts of the book of, of, of uh, Corinthians have been taken away since we have the written word. And so we no longer need those, uh, those gifts. So they've stopped. So wherever you think you see them, you're not seeing them. You're seeing something else. What is often called counterfeit by its yeah, biggest exactly. critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then in between you have people like the church that mom and I grew up at. My mother's down here, 95 years old. Yeah. She's here to keep me on the straight and narrow if he can't. Yeah. Um, and in the holiness movement, uh, you, had, you did not have a practical biblical theology that said the gifts had ceased. But in the praxis, in the practice of how you approach the Holy Spirit, you, uh, you saw none of them practiced or encouraged or, or, or uh, brought to the front. And then you have this other slice, which is where I, I believe we come down, which is we don't have a theology against but we also are not going to come down hardcore and say, if you're, if you're not speaking in tongues or showing any of these other revelatory gifts, we don't accept your salvation or we don't accept that you're filled with the Spirit. And in that slice between all those spectrums, I think is where we lie, where we accept the full work of the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to differentiate and insist and, and condemn or, or uh, cancel uh, people's experiences or lack of experiences with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that would be, that would be problematic because I would not be able to be your pastor since I don't have the gift of tongues. Uh, uh, well, I think, I think that, uh, um, that I'd love to hear from you uh, just a little bit of, of how you kind of came to a, a desire to experience, because I, I do believe, and we were talking about this before, um, when we were just kind of talking through how we want to approach this tonight, is that there are a lot of people that I believe um, the Christian, I, have, I take a very Lutheran approach to my view of, of salvation. Everything that needs to be done has been done by Christ. Uh, and, and our trust in him is based upon what he's done. And so to be new creation, uh, Jesus says, whoever the Son of Man sets free shall be free indeed. That freedom, the moment we're truly free, creates the possibility of making a mess of our freedom or not utilizing what's available to us. And, uh, and I used the illustration you know, before that I said, it's a little bit like the welfare state. Uh, you know, I grew up on welfare. My mom was poor she, and she worked hard. She worked two jobs, but we were still really poor. But there's a, there's a lot of people in America that uh, they're fully American citizens. They have all that's available to them that we all have available to us, but they actually are choosing uh, to not, not work and live off of what the state will provide for them. And they can do that, you can do that. You can live in America and basically be taken care of to some level, my dad did that. But it's not the life, it's not the, your best life. You're gonna, you're, you're, you're surviving. And I think that a lot of Christian spiritual lives are like that. It's like you're living on welfare because you don't realize that when Jesus sets you free, that means that there's an immediately a responsibility um, to surrender daily to the power that's available to us. And so Alan Redpath established it with this, this line of thinking that the vast majority of Christians live with this written over their heads, save life wasted, or save soul wasted life. The idea of being saved but not living out the victorious life in the moment. And, and I think that this is where, when we talk about what's available to us, the spirit isn't forcing us to do things. 
Um, and so, but he's making an awful lot of things available. An awful lot of things available. And so, yeah. So I want to hear how you kind of pushed into that reality more. Well, Kathy and I grew up with similar experiences um, in the Church of God of Anderson, Indiana. So Holiness Church, non-Pentecostal. And uh, then we married, and we uh, had a, a, a baby, and uh, she was perfectly healthy. And then we had another one, and she wasn't. So our second daughter, Erin Heather, um, who is possibly going to be angry at me with sharing some of this, but possibly, hopefully not, um, she was born with spina bifida, which is a significant neurologic uh, and, and uh, orthopedic malformation of the lower vertebrae of the back. Yeah. So she had a, a substantial neurologic problems which are not addressable medically. And what they can do is that they can, they can, do, uh, they can do various procedures to keep the implications of that from getting worse, but they can't fix the root problem. And the root problem for her involved, uh, you know, 20 or 30 spasms of intense pain every day, uh, inability to, to handle some, uh, some regular functions of the body. Uh, it was just miserable. And when she was born, we had no medical experience, didn't really know what it was at all. But we began to become uh, more and more, um, I became a lot more unhappy with the long-term result of what her life was going to look like. And because medicine didn't offer anything, and we, if, with spina bifida, if you have a baby, baby with spina bifida, you don't go to the Mayo Clinic, you don't go to London or Paris, you go to Seattle. Mm -hmm. Seattle has the best hospital in the world for this kind of thing. And <clears throat> what we learned was, hey, we can, we can help her grow without it getting too much worse, but we can't fix anything, and so here's what your baby is going to be facing. And I just wasn't okay with that. And so eventually what we did is we started uh, investigating divine healing. Now, we were in a, uh, a church environment where that was accepted, but it was accepted from the old-time Pentecostal approach to healing, which is you have to have faith if you are going to be healed. Well, our daughter was, you know, hardly talking, and, and we could, you couldn't make that leap. And so we started casting around, and what we eventually found um, when she was, what, three or four? something like that, is we found the Anaheim Vineyard. We found John Wimber. And when we took Aaron down to be prayed for by him, he said, well, I'll, you know, I, I won't pray for her because we have different ways of praying for people with these kinds of birth defects. And I said, really? There's differences? There's contrasting ways of prayer? And so we kind of moved whole hog into this arena where there were ways to approach these things that we'd never heard about spiritually. And it became a, a very absorbing um, way of looking at Christianity again, where a lot of things became real and a lot of archetypes that felt like fairy tales as I was growing up, a lot of Bible stories that really didn't connect with me, all of a sudden they made more practical sense. Now they were still ways out of reach, but at least there were paths uh, that we could, we could go down to do that. So we, we just started reading the books, going to the conferences, trying to figure out you know these things out and as we did we came into a much broader deeper sense of what the Holy Spirit will do if we're open to that and it it, uh, it really kind of remade our spirituality mm. yeah that's good and uh, and I think it's important to, to stay to it when you know many people in the church that have prayed for healing uh, and that can be a big emphasis in the church and I think that one of the the challenges that that obviously uh, we're confronted with, and um, I even address it in my book, is that is 
we're called to pray for healing if people are sick or come to the elders. Uh, and I've seen God heal. Um, I'm definitely not a cessationist. Uh, but I've also seen God not heal. Uh, and the fact is, is that the death rate still remains one per person. So even if you're healed today, you're still going to die eventually. Um, and so I think that where, where I, um, I think that we can lose ourselves as a church is, is the motivation. Um, the motivation is not the, necessarily the glory of Jesus, but the escape from a particular situation that we're in. But even that, God is such a good father, and he understands our frailty. He understands the longings of our heart. And so I always tell people, like, when they're, like, really focused, I want to see my kid healed. I want to see, I want to see, you know, this physical ailment. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being consumed with that, because that's just part of the human experience. Plus, you have whole sec a whole section of people in the New Testament, the Gospels, that's precisely what they did. They, they came to Jesus and said, my, my, my baby, my yeah. child, what do I do? Or the man like every day waiting for an opportunity yep. to be taken to yep. the water where yeah. the angel might touch down. You know, the people will believe anything um, uh, to escape suffering. And, and a part of the Christian message is that we are to bring comfort to those who are suffering. And part of that comfort can be divine intervention. And sometimes it's divine peace that comes in the midst of the suffering. But sometimes it's also partial healing, which is where Aaron has come out. Yeah. We've watched uh, probably two different times where God really has done something significant on her and has resolved some of the physical problems and limitations. She's 40, we decided 42. Works for the Department of Defense. Um, you know, she, that's, that's she, amazing. Yeah. She, uh, my, my standard joke with her is that she just moved into a new job where she has a lot of visibility in the Navy. And I said, honey, that's, I always expected that you were going to run the Department of Defense. And a good first step is that now you're going to run the Navy. So that, that's good. <laughs> and part of the reason I say that is because one of the things that does happen when you have a child in that place is you do lose a lot of hope mm -hmm. for the fruitfulness of their lives. And then you can correspondingly lose hope for their healing. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is she's had many people pray for her. Many small groups have spent lots of time praying over her and significant things have happened not to entirely erase the effects of the birth defect but to partially do so and to give her the ability to emotionally uh, move on and with faith move on yeah well i think that that, that actually raises a, a really important question that i think a lot of church communities have around the holy spirit is is uh, the the challenge of our own tendency toward magical thinking. We want to optimistically believe things into existence. Um, that in, what if we, what, you know, I don't want to ask God for something that, you know, is against his will or, or maybe actually I don't want to ask because I don't want to be disappointed by the answer. Uh, I think there's lots, of, I, it's something that Tyler even said in, on prayer that we're, we're, we don't come to God with prayer because we're fearful uh, that, well, uh, disappointment and disappointment can often uh, is another way of saying unbelief um, and belief uh, what I think there's a difference between um, believing God uh, will do something and believing um, fervently in a God who is capable of doing whatever he wants in alignment with his character and his purposes and his plans and I think that this is this is something that I think is important for us and kind of so shift and I want to hear a little bit more from you on this smell but the idea of the Holy Spirit as not a force, um, but a person within the Godhead itself. We, we are a Trinitarian church. We believe in a triune God. And for those of you who are maybe newer to the faith, 
um, or have a hard time getting you. I can think of God as Father. I can think of God the Son, uh, but it's, the Spirit seems more nebulous. It seem, uh, he seems less personal. Um, and I want to just be really clear. The Scripture is explicit um, in its description of the Holy Spirit uh, as personality. Uh, and what we believe is that God, the, the Spirit, as the, our creed say, proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, and the Spirit comes, uh, Jesus says, it's good that I go to the Father. For if I go to the Father, I will send to you another helper, the Spirit of truth. And when he comes, um, he will guide you into all truth. He will bring to remembrance the things that I have said. And this is uh, why I think it's important for us to remember that the first and foremost aspect of the Spirit is he, he is a healer in the truest sense of the word in that he brings the healing of salvation uh, to dead souls. <laughs> that is something that is so important for us to understand. But that connects to the, the second most important aspect of that is that he does that by lifting up Jesus. So the spirit is first and foremost a missionary spirit who all of the works that he does in and through our lives is for the purpose of lifting up Jesus, for, the, for accomplishing witness. And I think that this kind of helps create a framework by which we even come to Jesus as a community of faith for healing, for empowerment, for the gifts. Um, and I'm just curious uh, in your experience of like, how, how did you see even the experience that you had, um, we guys had with your daughter in regards to it pushing you toward a, a deeper intimacy with Christ or, and how did it witness to the reality of Jesus? Well, that was one, one of the good things about being a part of the early uh, part of the vineyard. Um, I, I say with some sadness that the vineyard is no longer where it was when Wimber was alive and when um, the early years of that ministry. But at the time, if you went to one of their worship services, you would, do, you would worship for 30 minutes. Uh, you'd have a sermon of roughly 30 minutes, and then you'd have 30 minutes of ministry time. And, and it was made reasonably clear that what the substance of the sermon was, was the springboard for the ministry. So often at the end of the sermon, there would be, therefore, those of you who are experiencing this and this and this in your life, you may want to come forward and receive ministry prayer. So the idea of, of preaching the word and then following that with the ministry of the word was part of what made a, a certain alive, a life in, in worship that was not just a part of musical performance or excellent oratory or fine expositional preaching. Mm -hmm. There was an immediacy, there was an imminence there mm -hmm. that brought the sense that God was truly ma uh, you know, uh, manifestly present and was, was there to do work with us if we wanted to do that. Now, it was, all, it was a very orderly process. It was not, there was not a lot of pew jumping, but there was an awful lot of work in prayer, not unlike what we do here at the front of the sanctuary after services on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. but that sense of immediacy, that sense of all of these things being tied together, the exegesis of the Word of God, and then ministry coming out of that exegesis, that was, that was just a huge deal. It made... Uh, a living composite, to use the mosaic term that you mentioned before, there's, there's a living composite out of all of these things coming together into one uh, kind of uh, experience, so to speak. Well, that's the thing I think that changed my perspective a little. You know, Calvary Chapel is interesting because Calvary Chapel, they're not cessationists. They believe in the gifts of the Spirit, 
but the joke is that we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, we just don't use them. That was like the Calvary Chapel kind of, and, and Chuck even had this weird, I think because he saw the, exce the excesses of, of Pentecostalism, the tendency is a pendulum swing. Well, that just got weird, you know, this was, this was weird, therefore it's all false. Well, if you've been to, to a church where there is like no space given to the Spirit and it's all, it's all uh, I've, I've been to dead orthodoxy as well, where Man, the Bible teaching is, they're not saying anything that isn't true, but there isn't an ounce of life happening in the space. Um, and Door of Hope's desire is to be a church that is a balance of word and spirit. Um, and we want the, the activity of the spirit to be tested. One of the things we're told in scripture is to test the spirit. I think there's a lot, this is something that's super important. And one thing that I love that Mel has continued to bring forth to the elder, one of the reasons we asked him to be an elder, um, is because of that desire to see practically put into action our theology. Uh, I think that we've always done a good job of, of Door of Hope of teaching the word. I mean, from the era when Tim was a pastor, to, there's always been a, a, a high reverence for the scripture. There's been a belief, a high reverence for evangelism and the desire to see um, people come to know Jesus. Uh, we've always had a very natural connection with how we work with, this, with uh, people that are hurting in the city by just actually inviting them into the community. But I think the missing component for us as a church, and I'm not saying that we are devoid of the spirit, I'm not saying that at all. I think that we aren't fully stepping into the power that is available to us because of this triune God who loves us and has given himself to us and has placed his spirit within us to sanctify us and to make us a people um, that actually have something supernaturally tangible about our lives. And I think what's challenging for a lot of us is that we believe, uh, we believe this crazy story. Most people in this room, I say there's probably maybe a couple of you that aren't sure if you're Christians uh, or not. But most, most people that are here at Door of Hope consider themselves Christians. They believe that 2,000 years ago, a guy walked on the earth named Jesus, who claimed to be one with God, who made himself one with God, who was exalted as the Messiah, put to death, and somehow dealt with the brokenness and sinfulness of human history in, in some saving act by which his blood was spilled, which brings somehow salvation to those who put the... We already believe that, but the moment we cross the line into the realm of the unseen, the demonic, supernatural gifts, uh, prayer language, uh, healing, all of these things that we're like, well, that's getting weird. I'm like, friends, you are already weird. Like you, you have broken the, 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 the barrier of acceptable ideologies in a materialistic age. Um, but we all, also recognize the absolute insanity and futility of the materialistic worldview. It's not leading anywhere of any hope. So we have this incredible message of hope, but there's something in us that says, I just, I don't want my Christianity to get weird. And I just want you to know that your faith is weird to those that are outside of the faith, but it doesn't mean that it, is, that it, that it can't be or shouldn't be appealing. 
um, that it shouldn't be grace-filled and it, there, there shouldn't be power and anointing on our lives. Anointing, in my opinion, is not for the preacher. Anointing is something that is available to every believer because the Spirit of God dwells within us. And so I, I would like to, to, for us to talk about that because I, I want us to create time for this, the radical idea. And what you pointed out that what Wimber created in Vineyard, and um, by the way, the church that I had a very intense kind of supernatural experience that I think aligned with scripture, this is one of the things of testing it, was when I went to Holy Trinity Brompton, burnt out, they offered to pray for the pastors. Um, I went, I was just there to ex look at Alpha to see if it's something we wanted to do. And they just had a time, they're like, hey, th this isn't about Alpha, this is just about us praying for pastors. And I was so fried and I wanted to quit Door of Hope. And I, I, I just felt emotionally taxed. And I just remember this overwhelming sense of like going forward for prayer, not wanting to, fighting it. And then just this overwhelming sense of God's love. Just, I love you, I've got you, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not disappointed in you because I already know how broken you are. That's why I can't, it was like this, it was like the heart of the father just, and it was, there was something in every time I've been in, I've been in that building five times now, every time I've gone, I break down crying and I don't cry easily and I can't figure out what it is. And I, and I actually, I do think I know what it is. And I think that it's a community that has built upon what Mel's talking about an expectation that church is not just a place where I go and learn some things about God, but church is a place where I go with my brothers and sisters to meet with the living God who is available. That's what Kevin said the other day. Uh, he said, people don't come to church to go to school. They come to church to meet God. Mm -hmm. And I think once we embrace that reality and come to grips with the fact, I, I call it a, I, I think we have a Holy Spirit agnosticism as Christians. We believe in him, but we're kind of waiting to see the evidence. And what, which means that we're, we often are just sagging back on our heels. We're not pressing forward. And there is an edge of faith that is often required for any kind of spiritual gift to work well. And if you are sagging back instead of pressing forward, often you just won't see much. Or you'll find that you have a thousand other alternative ways of explaining what's in front of you. And none of those are ways of understanding what's in front of you is the fact that the Spirit of God is actively working in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I think has to happen is that we have to be willing to be naive. I mean, that much anyway. We have to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to give the Lord an opportunity to show me something that doesn't fit my ninth grade earth science, that doesn't fit my five senses. That's not a part of my materialistic worldview that I was raised in here in the, in the, in the West. And that's one of the things that we have as a burden that not every other culture and country has is that we have this limited materialism that is our primary way of seeing reality. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for us to see into a supernatural realm. Now, that's not true for pagans in other cultures. Yeah, no, you, you get the sense. That's any time I've been to India or every country I've been to that would be on the, that third world status, there is a hyper awareness to spiritual realities. Um, and it's also why you hear stories, I mean, con where you want to see a supernatural work of God's spirit happening, uh, it, go to places where the Bible is not legal uh, and where it's not okay to be a Christian. And the Middle East is actually one of the fastest growing um, places for Christianity right now. And it's happening, and it's funny, 
through some of my most like stringently reformed cessationist friends who have been missionaries over in um, places like Iran and Iraq. Um, and they, they'll, they fully have to admit that the way that a lot of these people are meeting Jesus is not through someone hearing a sermon. Right. Like my friend Nestron, Jesus talked to her in a, in a shower. Yeah. Now she's a conservative reformed Baptist, but she still can't get away from her conversion was her Amon said uh, to her when she said, the voice told me that his blood would cleanse me. And her Amon said, only Jesus, only the prophet Jesus speaks that way. And unbeknownst to her, her sister had gotten saved um, through a young life experience in Europe uh, over the summer. And someone gave her sister money and said, go home, fly home right now. I've never done this before. Here's the money to fly home. Um, God told me that your family's ready to hear the gospel. And she went home and shared the gospel. And Nestron said, I told her when I saw her, you're here to tell me about Jesus. I believe in him, but I don't understand. So that kind of reality, that shows the sovereignty of God, that God, nothing's gonna stop God's mission from happening. But we who have the scripture, I think the scripture often Nothing breeds arrogance faster than a worship of the written word rather than the living word. And the spirit is meant to point us to the living Christ. And the word should reinforce that and create the parameters by which we can test the spirits and so actually the, live vibrantly in, the, in that One of the power. questions you're about to ask me is how do we have a balance between word and spirit in a congregation? Yes. Right? So let me ask that question to myself. Yeah. How do you have a church that's balanced in word and spirit? Here's my answer. I'm not sure. Except that I think, I, I think it's a little bit like walking or riding a bicycle. You have to overstep a little bit on each side and balance it with a response that go, comes from the contrasting side. Mm -hmm. I often think of bicycle riding this way. Uh, bicycles go f forward because you press down with only one leg. And if, let's say, the left leg is your, um, your commitment to proper exegetical Bible reading and understanding, so you're, you're really into the, the principles of the, of the gospel and into the, the fact stacks of, of uh, the word of God. And you press down hard on that. Well, that's going to move you forward for a while. But then you're going to find that that foot, no matter how much further, harder you press down on that, you're not going forward any longer. But you find that your other leg, which is much more about the experiential, mm -hmm. it's much more about hearing the word of God spoken in that inner voice, projected on that little tiny movie screen inside your own head, you can see that that part of you is primed for movement. And you press down on that while you relax the other leg. And you think, well, now I'm drifting into, I'm drifting into something that's really weird and off the chart. No, you're giving yourself a, a prescribed period of time. Pardon me, prescribed. I have to find a different term. Your uh, prescription is wrong here. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you, but you, but you're you're test you're testing what you're testing what's being learned. Thank you. Yeah. Good. So you push down with that experiential side of of force, and as you do that, you continue to move forward. But after a while, you find that that experiential side is not fully delivering. So how do you ride a bike? Well, you press on each leg alternatively for. Uh, for specific periods of time, and what it means is that you overstep on each side each time you do this. But each time that you do this, you find that you're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that takes practice, and everyone falls down, and everyone scrapes a knee. But eventually, you find out how to walk with a leg in both camps. Word, spirit. Word, spirit. 
word, spirit. And if you do that as a community, where you have other people who are not at exactly the same place you are, I think there's a stability and a power that does drive, drive us forward. Now, I, that's, not, uh, that's not really technical language, but I think it does help us try and come to grips with the fact that we have two hemispheres, we have, we have two sides, we have a rational side, an artistic side. We are used to the fact that we're bifurcated in many respects. So understanding how that bifurcation may work in terms of our spiritual advance, I think is also appropriate. Yeah, I like that. And I think, I, mean, I was actually talking with Tim Mackey about this various, you know, Tim grew up in a charismatic, um, in a charismatic church and he saw a lot of excesses. And when we first hired him, uh, he was very skeptical, actually. Uh, I think he said he felt like he had spent, and he's pr pretty open about this, and I've heard him talk about it even on his podcast, of just that he, that I, I saw the abuses of it, hyper-spiritualizing everything that said, and, I, and you, that we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and you're like, I want to be grounded in the word. I want to be, be thoughtful. Uh, and I, I don't think that there's a, that, that's the tendency, is we just tend to, like, we, we focus on one thing to the, uh, to the detriment of another. This is why this conversation is so important in the context of community, because someone like Mel is gonna be more comfortable with that experiential piece, a lifetime of, of, of putting, putting the word to work in his own life and seeing the spirit show up. And this is part of why we grow. I think a lot of people they lose their, their faith um, after time because the seed never took root in such a way where they're like, where else am I going to go? And that's the thing. I'm, I'm turning 50, so I'm, I'm coming up on 22 years of being a Christian um, uh, in next month, 22 years. And in the 22 years, it's like I've got to the point now where it's like I've walked so long with Jesus. I mean, I, it's like Peter, like where else, where else will I go, Lord? I've seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and often we see that more in the rearview mirror than we do in the moment. I'd like to see Door of Hope get to the place where we actually are not having to always look back into our past to see how God's hand has been with us, but actually expect to experience God's hand with us as we are moving in the moment. Um, Can I grab that? Uh, yeah. Another thing. I, I, what I want to do is, is take that experience that you had at Holy Trinity Brompton, all right, that's an experience. That was very much experiential. You can, you can locate that very, very well in the book of Ephesians in chapter three, mm -hmm. because that's exactly what Paul prays for. He prays that our hearts will be rebuilt and strengthened so that, and by the way, it's a very Trinitarian passage. You have yeah. the Father and the Son and the Spirit mm -hmm. right in, one, in the context of one passage. And your heart is strengthened so that the, the power of God's love can be poured into your heart so that you can know the height and the depth and, and, and the, the full strength, the full measure of the Lord's love. And I think that's exactly what happened to you at Holy Trinity Brompton. And that's a very good example of, well, how do you take something that you experience in the spirit and how do you find that in the word? Mm -hmm. Not that hard. Many of these experiential experiences that are offered to us are, are given not just observation in Scripture, as in Ephesians 3, but they're also given to us illustratively, and they're given to us theologically. This is a part of the remaking of who we are. Mm -hmm. We can't become new creatures with the old heart. And substantially, 
in Revelation, Paul, uh, John now turns back to the Ephesian church, for whom Paul prayed on his knees that they would have this experience of, of the Lord's love. And he said, you need to return to that love. Mm -hmm. So this is a love that we can experience and can leak out of us, and we can put it behind us. And so we have to, there is there in us as a congregation and, and as individuals, this need to move forward with the, with the love of God and re-experience it. Mm -hmm. We were just talking before the service, it's not about how are you filled with the Spirit, how are you filled again, and then how are you filled again after that, and then how again are you filled. That's right. And so one of the things that we want to be as a congregation of people is just people who are constantly praying for one another that we would be filled with the love of God. And I see this. That's Romans by the way, 5. That's, uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's a really important thing. And I, I want to say this one other thing because I'm not the pastor of this church. I think sometimes what happens to the senior pastors is, a, is prototypical of what's, what's available and, and it can be expected by the congregation. We can't go anywhere just because you teach it. But we might be able to go somewhere that you've been. Mm -hmm. So if you've experienced this, maybe we can experience this. If you've experienced, as, as you cover painfully in your book, what it means to have to trade your idea of fatherhood, and, and uh, as Ian was saying this morning, and have the ideas of fatherhood replaced with the, the, the actual perfect character of the Heavenly Father, well, if that happened to you, maybe Romans 8, 15, and 16 can happen to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe my ideas of fathering can change. And we, if, if we have a pioneer in our midst, then we can follow the pioneer. And so I want to put that out there because I, I think that we in faith can just say, Lord, you did that. You did that for, our, for my shepherd. Yeah. Can you do that for me? Well, that's it. I think I want, to, I want to turn to some questions, but I want to just say this about it on that very subject matter. Being a church that's focused on the word, I once heard an illustration given by a guy named Charles Price who said that, that a lot of Christians treat the Bible they're like, they, they treat the Bible as like, a, it's a manual. And, it, and he goes, think about it as like a manual for like a fancy car. It's like a, you know, you, got, you're, you have a, you know, you have a manual for, you know, some, some nice BMW. And, and you have a bunch of friends that have that manual too. And you guys love to get together and look at that manual. And, but none of you actually own the car. You don't own the car. You just have the manual to the car. You get together every week, and you're like, turn to page 33. Let's look again at the transmission component. Bluetooth yeah. headset. Yeah. With like, I, you know, I imagine if I had the car that you, you would do what it says on page 33. But I think a lot of Christians treat their faith that way. It's like, it's like, it, it's like we've got the book. We've got just enough faith to get out of hell into heaven, but not enough faith to get the power of God in and through our lives in that tangible. And that's where I think the word and spirit, it doesn't matter if we have the word of God in our hands, if we aren't yielding to the spirit's illumination and sanctification. <laughs> um, we actually need the car. And God has actually, he didn't just, he didn't say sanctify them by your truth um, and, and then go back to the father and leave us to our own devices the sanctifying by the truth actually happens through the sanctifying work of the Spirit in God's people as we yield to that truth. And that's why I said the Spirit's a good teacher. Um, the issue is not the Spirit. The issue is that we're just really crappy students. Um, and it doesn't matter 
how much the teacher teaches you if you're not willing to do the lessons. You, like, you, you can't bring to remembrance what you have. This is why you can't separate the written word from the living word because he's, he can't bring to remembrance what you haven't first put into your head. And that's that, like, we want to practically step into the, those little acts of obedience um, under the power of the spirit because we've been saved, because we are loved. But it begins by believing that we are loved. Um, and um, what we're gonna do, we're gonna just answer a couple questions on the spirit, but we wanna be practical tonight. And this was really important to Mel, and, and, and it's funny because it, God kind of spoke the same thing to me, which is um, to be able to offer up a time for you guys to come forward um, for, for prayer. Uh, and to have the elders of the church lay hands on you that God's love would be poured out in your hearts. Because some of you, man, that's something we can connect with almost more than anything. And if, if, you're, if you're sick or you're dealing with something, share that with an elder um, and have them pray for you. But, but I think a lot of us just like, we lose our first love so easily. And it says that the, in Romans 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just God's, the ability to love like God it first and foremost is the ability to know that we are loved in spite of our broken sinful selves um, which actually now gives us the capacity to to offer divine love to others this is the one of the greatest evidences of a spirit-filled community um, which is the essence of being spirit-filled it's not you getting more of the spirit it's the spirit getting more of you uh, as you yield to him coming to Jesus like little children uh, so um, let's see Pip, did you send, um, there's some, there some questions? Okay. I'm not gonna, you know what, by the way, I had so many amazing questions for Tim Mackey that like we fake, don't have time for this. fake questions. I've heard these questions are wonderful. They were really, there was one good one. Am I eating Lot's wife every time I eat salt? I was just very, Tim thought that was really brilliant. I was thought that was pretty good. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm it's, just saying it's, we, it's, we could, we it's, could, it's good. We could spend an hour there's, on those. There's a few other ones. Some, there's some golden ones. Like what is the most awesomest story in the Bible? That's why I just wanted to start with that. <laughs> why is healing or miraculous experience part? Uh, why is healing or miraculous experience part of a Holy Spirit empowerment? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. That, that question is worded weird. I think are, is the question why is why is healing? I don't know what you mean by that that question. Uh, is it just stated? If someone knows, if asked that, are you asking if um, healing needs to be a part of Holy Spirit empowerment for it to happen, or I think that's what's being asked, uh, and I. All I, would, all I would say is this, is that all healing, uh, that, that divine healing happens because God heals and he often does that through conduits, human conduits. Doesn't mean that that's the only way that he'll heal, um, but I would say that the most common way in which God works in his world is actually through his church. So spiritual empowerment for us as a community, a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit is actually a crucial part of God accomplishing his mission on the earth. He doesn't need us to complete that mission, but he has sovereignly decreed to use us to complete that mission. So and I would if, say yes. And if the question is about why do we need the miraculous in, in, in the church, 
I would just say, look, a, a, a whole body without any defect whatsoever is what we're headed towards. The fullness of the kingdom of God in heaven is with nobody sick, nobody is deformed, nobody has pain, everyone's whole, everyone's well. And when the kingdom of God in our time, when we have a glimpse of, the, of that future kingdom of God here, it is, it is just that. It is a link to or a looking forward to the wholeness of God that we're all moving towards as, as, as we move towards heaven. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's also a really important part of, of the extension of, of uh, the kingdom into, into the lives of people who are not yet saved. Craig Keener has done a really uh, massive job of analyzing miracles. And first of all, he's tracked a bunch of them down. He's validated them. And then he has kind of categorized them and looked at the place and the time where they were. And many times there's a, there's a great rise in uh, the miraculous in areas that are just being moved into by the kingdom of God, where, right. where evangelism is really happening uh, in dramatic forms. And uh, I, think, I think Portland's ripe for that. And it's part, it's part of that, the, the witnessing aspect of it. I think that that's the challenges that we see so much excess. Wherever God is working powerfully, Satan is always in the midst of, of that work counterfeiting. And so, this one of the, so some guys spend all of their time trying to point out the counterfeits, and they just decide it's all counterfeit because it's easier to not believe any of it than to try to believe what might be from God and what might not be from God. But let me just give you an example that breaks. There's lots of illustrations in the scripture that break our grids. Uh, the, para, the, the paralyzed man being uh, dropped through the roof to Jesus. It's just when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Rise up, take your mat, and sin no and more. And it's almost like he's disgruntled. Oh, you don't think I can forgive the guy's sins? Fine, then I'll heal him. Yeah. There's almost that, you almost have that kind of but, attitude on Jesus' part. But the, the thing that I find the most baffling is that, that God acts on behalf of this, on, he, he brings healing to this guy because of the, the friend's faith. That doesn't fit a normal, our normal grid. The thief on the cross, there is no understanding of atonement, there's there's very little that resembles a saving prayer, if you will. I think there's clear repentance. Um, but all, he doesn't even call Jesus by God or Lord. He just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which he's insinuating that he's Lord by referring to it as his kingdom. However, it's still, it doesn't fit our grid. And what we do as Christians is we create grids and we have our way that we think God always works. And it, I think that's when you start messing with the fact that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead and is sovereign and is free to do what he, what he wants. Um, and so I think his, the, the miraculous is something that we should always be looking for the miraculous because what is more miraculous than conversion? <laughs> that, like we, I think we need to have a sacramental cast where we actually begin to see the miraculous hand of God in the nuances of our lives um, where we're actually looking for those intersections of grace. This is a question, what can I do daily to get more in tune with the Holy Spirit? And then it said, don't say read my Bible. Um, well, that sounds like the Holy Spirit's maybe telling you that you're not reading your Bible enough, but uh, you know, I'm not here to judge. Um, I, well, I think, I think that the question is, what's, I think the simple answer to that is Romans 12. Do you begin every day with, 
I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is what Mel said, being filled is not a one-time event. It, just like Jesus said, I'm gonna give you water that you'll never thirst again. He isn't saying I'm gonna give you a drink and you'll never thirst again. He's saying I am a perpetual well that can be drank from. The spirit is the same. I, I am here to fill you again and again and again, which is, I am, which is a call on our side we are commanded to be filled, which means we must yield again and again and again. Yeah. And so ask the Holy Spirit to show you. To and I would take it out of the, the exclusive realm of individual devotions. Yeah. I would, in fact, I, and I would challenge every community group leader here and everyone's going to be a community group leader. Let's make our community groups about practicing the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, as good as these sermons are, Let's take 10 minutes less of looking at the sermons in our community groups. And let's spend some time in silent prayer listening for the voice of God to speak to us. Because we're going, as you preach well, we can find the presence of God in our midst if we'll stop and listen, yeah. if we'll pay attention. And so I would say <clears throat> it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to practice the, the manifest presence of God in our community groups and pay attention to what you hear the Lord's saying, and then, you know, take a little bit of faith and push it out there and, and see if, if uh, somebody says, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I've, been, I've had that kind of day. Could somebody pray for me? And when you start listening for words of knowledge, when you start listening for, for moments of discernment in small groups, and when you are um, not heavy-handed in, in speaking them out, um, then you find that you begin to improve in that. Uh, over time. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we do all the time, that, that there's a number of us that, that do work in words of knowledge here, you never deliver them with a brick bat. You know, you always deliver them with a feather. You always say, I wonder if, do you suppose, I think maybe, and when you start doing that, then you let people exit out of whatever you think the Lord might be saying. And I've rarely had anybody do that here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had some words of knowledge that I think fell to the floor because they weren't words of knowledge. But if you deliver them in such a way that uh, people can either receive them or not, then you give people a chance to say, oh, that's exactly where I was at. Thank yeah. you so much. Can I give a little story about how that happened here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. This guy asked me to be an elder. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm as smart aleck as anybody else, and so I played coy, you know, and, and uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm already in the, I mean, I do a lot of eldering stuff. Why do you need an elder? And it, all the rest of this. So I finally said yes. I went to my first elders meeting, and it was, it was you know, four hours of high blood pressure for me. And because we had a lot of issues that, you know, had to be resolved, and a lot of them were difficult. And, and I felt what happened for me actually was, I think, a little bit of PTSD because from my former pastoring experiences, I was feeling a lot of rush of things that I hadn't experienced for 30 years. And they were, they were kind of piling on top of me. And so I, was, I came out of that. I thought, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, I mean, I'm happy to make coffee and, and lead in prayer and do all, all that. I'm happy to do that. Why do I have to do more than this? And so I was arguing with God. And I was walking across the rotunda right by the sound booth. And Steve Rester was standing back there by the camera. He didn't have any idea what had gone. I'd gone to one elders meeting and I had this experience. And I think, I don't know. And so I'm walking along and he stops me and he says, I think I have a word from God for you. <laughs> and it was basically the Lord wants you to continue to take steps forward. And when you feel like you can't take another step, I want you to take one more step. Now that didn't mean anything to him because he didn't know anything about what I was going through. 
But it was like all of a sudden, well, of course, that's just God talking to me. I can, I can see that. I understand what he's saying. Yeah. And so I pressed through, and what it meant is I got blood pressure meds yeah, so right. that I could be an elder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did. I'm on two of them. I, I, Losartan, uh, uh, 50 milligram a day, and amlodipine, which works with the Losartan. You know, the two of them work together. Yeah. And uh, I'm on uh, 10 milligram a day. So now I can be an elder because I have my meds. Well, I'm on psilocybin now, right the, now, put, and I see, I see angels behind you. And see what comes out. <laughs> I said I'm on psilocybin right now. I see angels behind you. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm just joking. That would be a cult if I had sunglasses. And I'm just like, all right, guys, we're going to take some mushrooms, and then we're going to pray, see what happens. Um, anyway, I say that just to say, look, there, you, can, you, can, you can put things out there and find out what's going on. And Steve's a good, he's a solid guy that... Uh, well, I, 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 had, another... I had something similar where I had someone come to me. I was really struggling at the church I was working at before I started Door of Hope and was feeling overlooked and felt just like my own ego was being, I'd gone through some corrective stuff and teaching had been taken away from me. And I just remember being so frustrated and I felt like it was unjust what was happening. And a guy came up to me and he said, I've never done this before, but I have a, I, I have a scripture for you. And I just feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. And it was that scripture. You know, there's, there's some that teach, uh, which I think is completely crazy and out to lunch, which is all prophetic words should be positive. I'm like, have you never read the Bible? Um, but uh, uh, but the, the word is like, he goes, uh, it's the passage from 1 Kings. There's still, um, uh, was it 3,000 who haven't, haven't bowed the knee, knee to Baal? You're not the only one. There's, there's many that are following me faithfully. And I was like, dang it. That's, you didn't say dang, did you? I, I, I was like, all right, Jesus, you win. Um, but it was, a, it was an amazing moment of conviction. And this guy was like, yeah. it was spoken. I mean, it was like a prophetic word. Like he didn't say, maybe this. He's like, I'm supposed to give this to you. It was scripture. And it was totally God just going after my pride in that I'm like, I should be the one up there preaching, not, not that guy. Why am I? And it was like, Jesus, like, it was like loving, like, I'm with you, but you're not the only one yeah. that I'm using. And it was a really good moment. And so I, th I think sometimes we miss the mark too when we're afraid actually to, when God gives us a hard word for a friend. Uh, like part of being community, I think the biggest hindrance for Door of Hope when it comes to the Holy Spirit is our fear of we're so freaking self-conscious in Portland. We are unbelievably self-conscious. I mean, I watch people like worship and they're like, should I raise my hand? I don't know, no one's raising their hands. Like, it's like, we need to be more vertical in our approach, but we need to be vertical together. And, and I think that that's a, that's a huge And let me say just that. one other thing about this. If you, if you are reluctant and you know that something's floating through your mind, you think it does pertain to somebody else and you're not sure what to do with it, there's Matt, there's Mar where's Mark, Mark's there, Tim's not here tonight, Kevin's not bad, uh, there's... Pastors. By, by <laughs> which I mean he's... He, yeah. We'll explain what that means later, but I would grab Kevin, I would grab any one of the staff and just say, look, I think, I think I'm supposed to find, you know, uh, Jeff Craighead and tell him that, you know, he's not supposed to... I don't even, should I just say that? Play Aussie football still. Exactly, yeah. 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 And, and, and float it by someone who's going to have to clean up the mess if you're wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, because that's the way it looks. If you make a terrible mistake and they do get married and they weren't supposed to, and one of them got a word from God and you say, well, I guess so, and they get married and it's, it, we have to clean that up. We have to clean that up. Yeah. See, that's one of the reasons why we do it this way. We had, we had a Portland semi-celebrity our first week for Body Life and a Portland semi-celebrity for the second week. Why do you have an old guy like this from the church for this week? And here's why. Because the work of the Holy Spirit does need to be administered. And you want it to be done, if possible, in-house. Mm -hmm. So that we, we keep messes from happening, if possible. And when there is a mess, we have people there who, are, who are, have been involved in it from the beginning. This is how you protect people from the weirdnesses of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's also how you find a certain amount of courage to go ahead and do the things that you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do, but you're not sure if you should. Yeah is you let somebody else help you over the threshold. Well, let me, let me I wanna answer two more questions that are really, I think, important. Um, the first one is um, uh, Acts 11, 16, and I remember the word of the Lord and how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does being baptized by the Holy Spirit look like? Um, and, and I wanna just say, baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, I, I hold a strong conviction. Baptism, the very Greek word means immersion into. Uh, and so there, within charismatic and Pentecostal circles, baptism of the Spirit is often spoken of as kind of a second blessing. Even within Calvary Chapel, Martin Lloyd-Jones held to that. So there's plenty within the, under the umbrella of orthodoxy that use baptism in that sense. I actually think it's a misuse of the word, but this is purely semantics, because I do believe people have experiences. Wesley had an experience. You read uh, Pascal's, the, um, his experience with God, Brainerd's experience, D.L. Moody on Wall Street, where they, where they would refer to it as like a second blessing, or I think that that is just a, a manifest, what I experienced in HTB. I don't believe that was a baptism of the Spirit. I think baptism of the Spirit, immersion into, is something that happens the moment you are regenerated, you are born again, you are immersed into the life of Christ and the Spirit. You don't get more of the Spirit later. The Holy Spirit isn't something, he's someone. So the, what I think often is meant by baptism of the Spirit is just the language I would use is they, they were filled. Uh, they were filled in a way that was beyond what, there are moments, the Mount of Transfiguration happened once. Most of the life of the disciples, remember, even after the transfiguration, even after Jesus had risen from the dead and had showed himself to them, it didn't take long for the disciples to get Peter to try to go back to fishing. It didn't take long for them to lose sight of the fact that there's a supernatural. We need to constantly be reminded of the power of God. And God is gracious, and there are times where he just, you know, some people have those experiences over and over again through their lives. I've had a handful. But those experiences, I think most of my life's in the valley, and I have those few mountaintop experiences, but those mountaintop experiences can sustain a person a long time. I think a lot of people haven't even had one experience of God's presence. And so I just would say that baptism, I don't like the language of like, we need to pray for a baptism of the Spirit. If you are born again, you have been baptized in the Spirit. What I do think is a biblical use language, and I care about language, I think it matters, is that this is what we mean by being filled and you can be filled to the point of overflowing. Um, and yeah. so I believe in the second, in that second and third and fourth and fifth blessings. Um, can I say one thing about yeah. that? Because I think that sometimes what we're doing when we're praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit is we are 
trying, we, we are asking the Spirit of God to actually finish that baptizing which was intended to happen when they were first saved, and we didn't give it any time for that to happen. Mm -hmm. In other words, I think we have a lot of salvation experiences that are very thin when it comes to the experience of the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't care if it's second work, fourth yeah. work. I don't care if it's filled right. or baptized or any, any other way. I just think that we have a lot of Christians who are walking around and they have, we negotiated the smallest amount of experience with God we could get away with yeah. because we wanted to ma remain ourselves. And, and I think it's also a lot of the language that's used within charismatic circles is drawn, drawn from the book of Acts. We need to remember that book, Acts is not a prescriptive book. It's a very focused, like, tight uh, history of the continued work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Um, and there's some weird stuff that happens in Acts that like people are like, well, what about that time when they're like, they put their faith in Jesus, but when they were asked if they had received the Holy Spirit, they're like, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then they received the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but I'm not gonna take one story from a very interesting time in church history and create an entire theological grid out of it. I don't think, it, I don't think that that's necessary or healthy. I, I think what, what we want is take the whole view of scripture and the question is, is are we yielded to the Holy Spirit who is pointing us again and again to Christ? A final um, question that I think is um, important is what is Door of Hope's view on spiritual meditation or contemplation in light of the growing popular, um, popularity of meditation in our society? Listen, there is no doubt that there, is a, that there is a massive fad around a return to the contemplative practices of, of Catholic mysticism. And, and I've read most of the Catholic mystics. I've understood very little of the Catholic mystics because that almost was like the defining reality of what it meant to be a mystic was your experiences are so esoteric that only you had them. And, and, uh, and often the language of the mystics, uh, much of the mystical writing came out of intense isolation, um, separation from the world rather than involvement. What I want is practical mysticism or evangelical mysticism, if you will, which is a fundamental belief that God is present and available and wants to move in our lives powerfully in the context of community. I'm with, I'm with Luther, I trust, I think solitude is the devil's playground. And when it comes to, uh, if you mean by contemplative, of contemplating and feeding upon God's word and spending time in prayer and asking God to move by the Holy Spirit and living out the Christian life, then I'm fine with that. But you can mean a lot of different things by that word. Um, and I've read good books that use, utilize the, the idea of contemplative and then I've read stuff that I'm like, I, I, this sounds more like a new age handbook than it does. It's, and it's why I actually do stand firmly, actually, at this current time. I've made many jokes about um, Enneagram in the past. I actually stand firmly against it as actually fundamentally contrary to the Bible, to our understanding of scripture and how God speaks to our lives because its background is actually created by a charlatan shaman from Peru who is pointing out ways to read oneself with the Jungian psychology bent. And it's like, I mean, if Christians just would have been allowed to read frickin' Harry Potter, we wouldn't even have this problem, but we didn't. And so now we've got this. Now we got a bunch of Christians playing with the occult, whatever. Uh, the, the fact is this, is that I think when you ask questions like contemplative, we do not need to throw the concept of being spirit-filled 
people into a fear of moving into the contemplative practices. That is not what, and even when you, you know, we should always be a listening people. That includes listening to God. Uh, Tozer said that God is perpetually speaking into his creation. We have to attune our hearts and minds to that, but we need to do it in the context of community. And we have many guidelines and parameters by which we can do that. And it's going to be messy. And there are going to be things that you thought you heard from God that wasn't from God. And there are gonna be things that you thought was the work of the spirit that maybe wasn't the work of the spirit. And there is gonna be magical thinking mixed with spirit-filled thinking. And that's just part of the mixture, which is why we need one another and why we need to be a people that make sure that we can answer one question, does it point us to Jesus? Is that, is that, that, is that a reasonable answer? Let's pray. Yeah.